Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. This week, we saw inflation lower to within the Bank of Canada's target range. So are we there? Are the hikes over? Are they going to start reducing? Uh, well, maybe not so quick. We're going to dive into that today and share our thoughts and kind of analyze the data and, of course, the press release around what they said. On a potentially positive note, we are seeing housing starts trend upwards for our much-needed housing landscape here. But hey, not so quick. We're also seeing building permits drop off of a cliff and we're going to analyze that as well for you. Now, ultimately, we've got mortgage rates and rental rates at all time highs here and they are, well, crushing affordability. And sorry, let me just reiterate there. Mortgage rates aren't at all time highs, but they are for this current cycle and they're crushing affordability and more and more people are basically getting to the breaking point. And with the Bank of Canada now saying that interest rates may be this high for two years, well, things are going to dramatically change in the housing landscape over that time frame. So what are we up for here? Are things finally breaking? Is it over? Well, let's let's dive right into it today. And of course, if you are feeling any of the pain or you're curious, hey, are there actually opportunities in this market? Or is it just a complete hold and wait and see? We'd love to chat. Just reach out to us below and uh, book a time using the Calendly link. So off the top, the big news this week, of course, is that inflation dropped. It dropped from 3.4 down to 2.8%. This is actually the lowest it has been in over two years, 27 months to be exact, dating back to March of 2021. And of course, this is kind of exciting because, hey, Bank of Canada has been saying they need it down below 3%. And here we are. 1% to 3% is their target band. When we look at what is contributing to the CPI basket basket today, well, the largest contributor was, of course, from lower gas prices. And when I say largest contributor, largest contributor to it coming down because gas prices dropped nearly 22% from this time last year. Pushing it up, of course, is shelter, which they claim to be up around 4.8%. And mortgage interest costs, of course, that's up. We understand that completely over 30% higher from this time last year. Also contributing was rents are up about 6% from this time last year. Personally, I think they're much higher. I think they're looking at lagging data and we'll share the current data with you in this episode so you understand that. And we're all feeling this one. Grocery prices up over 9% from this time last year. Those are remaining incredibly sticky, incredibly high. And we are all feeling it at the grocery store, at the restaurants. So if we analyze this a bit, we have now seen inflation drop from its recent peak exactly a year ago. Inflation has been dropping since July of 2022. The overnight interest rates back then when rates, when inflation started dropping was 3.75%. And of course, the rate of increase just prior to that had already been starting to peel off. Jump forward to today where the overnight rate is 5% and we're currently within that 1% to 3% target band the Bank of Canada targets. Well, What does that mean? Again, are they going to hold? Should they hold? Because the tone was basically that, yes, they're going to be data-driven on all of their uh, decisions moving forward here. 
But it also came across quite hawkish that, look, they also plan to hold for about two years. So stepping back a sec here, there is one more inflation print that's going to be brought to the public on August 15th next month prior to the September 6th interest rate announcement. That's the next time we're going to hear from the Bank of Canada regarding interest rates. What they are saying right now is that they're seeing consumer spending is still a little bit too strong. But that's Q1 data that they're referencing. And this is also based somewhat on the massive immigration numbers that largely we know are breaking records each quarter. So yes, more people come into the country, there's ultimately more spending. So is this data that they're referencing even adjusted for population growth? Tiff Macklem also talked about how housing prices have been increasing, and that is a reason for them to either continue to hold or even increase rates at the next announcement. Again, lagging information. Yes, housing went up Q1. Yes, housing went up most of Q2. But because as agents, we have real-time data as to what's happening in the housing market, we've seen housing prices come off, come down for two months here in GVRD, very similar to what's happening in Toronto. So by the time September comes around, we're likely going to have four months in a row of downward house prices, yet BOC will probably only reference Q2 data and uh, HPI, which will point up. And yet the reality on the ground will be much different here. As of their last speech, the Bank of Canada here thinks that interest rates will remain around 3% for the next year and then slowly lower to about 2% by mid-2025. That's two years from now, basically opening the doors for them to say, okay, well, we're holding rates in and around that 5% mark for the next two years. And believe me, if two years of 5% overnight rates maintain, you're going to see a heck of a lot more pain in the marketplace. You're going to see companies fold. You're going to see houses basically hit the market at, at great reductions, or you're going to see foreclosures maybe start to tick up, even though that takes a couple of years. But you're also going to see all-time high rental rates almost every single month here. So basically nowhere to escape housing pain right now. But um Ryan, what's your, what's your take on all this news? Do you remember when they made a prediction that rates were going to stay low until the bottom of 2023? <laughs> I guess the point I'm getting at is, you know, when, when you make a two year prediction, I think that that's, uh, uh, I think they're trying to set the tone for the way people have been behaving and the way that they're going to behave into the future. I think they're, it's it's more of a warning shot. I, I'm not sure they'll be able to stick to that plan. And for a lot of reasons, much like you just said, businesses could fold. Uh, it'll put a ton of stress on the economy. Prices will continue to drop, which could be good for buyers, but uh, it, you know, sellers may decide not to sell, uh, which again will cause more of a rental inventory issue. Again, you know, the, the, the thoughts, uh, and, and the tone that came out of the meeting was pretty somber. Uh, you know, I, I kind of said it in our last podcast that I think if, if they were done raising rates, they would be almost jovial about that announcement. Uh, instead, it really sounded a whole lot more like they're definitely leaving the door open for more rate hikes. Uh, they felt like while inflation is still coming down, it has the potential to bump back up and they want to avoid any kind of surprises like that. These are all the things that they're preparing us mentally for. So we'll see. My prediction is that they will hike again. Uh, historically, the Bank of Canada will either overcorrect uh, whether it's going up or down. 
Uh, and that is mostly because they're dealing with lagging information. They'll deal with HPI prices instead of average and medium prices. Uh, and they'll look at that data that's three months old as opposed to what's happening in real time. And when you do that, you overcorrect or you undercorrect as a result, and you end up on this roller coaster going back and forth. You know, if they continue to massage the CPI basket and decide what's going to be relevant and what isn't relevant anymore, it's going to be, it's just like moving the goalposts all the time. So it's going to be really hard to know what they're going to do. And I think that's part of their plan. I think the reason they massage it is so that they can, they can keep you guessing so that you'll hold on to your dollars instead of spending them. Speaking of a roller coaster, let's get into housing starts because housing starts continue to ping pong back and forth, up and down almost every other month. Canadian, ho Canadian housing starts rose 41% to 280,000 units in June. That's a great, that's great news. But when you consider the month before, they fell 23% before that month. So, you know, you have this ping pong effect of developers holding on, releasing, holding on. Uh, and some of this really depends on where they were uh, when that building permit or that development permit originated maybe a year and a half, two years ago. So starts were up 4% from the same month year over, or sorry, from um, the same month last year. And in British Columbia, new housing starts rose by 61% in June to 66,000 units. Um, starts in the province were 17% above levels from June of 2022. And the overall trend line is going up. Uh, however, we are also recovering from the lows we've seen in mid 2020 to 2022. So some low baseline effects there. Uh, these levels were seen as pre pandemic levels. Uh, and there are a few more people now in our country than there were then, right? So why are we not building more to deal with, you know, the million more people that we put into the country or their population grew by, uh, from last year? So, Ultimately, I, you know, while we're still providing new units and new housings, new housing starts, it's not going to be enough to fulfill and sustain the people that are coming here or that our population is growing by. And don't forget, applications for building permits have now dropped for six straight months sitting at a 15 month low. And that's, that's a really important metric to realize because while it sounds great that housing starts overall are trending up, a lot of people, builders, developers that have gone through the process to, let's say, rezone, get your development permit, get your building permit. Once that's in place, it's kind of like the train has left the station and they're not going to stop at that point. They've already invested so much time and money. So they need to kind of complete that building, that house, that duplex, whatever, because they, they just need to start recouping some of those funds. Whereas if people are just throwing in the towel from day one saying, look, I'm not even going to go apply for a building permit at this point because the feasibility is not there. The numbers do not pencil. I'm not going to make money if I move forward. And that's dropping off a cliff. Well, ultimately, you know that that results in lowered housing starts 12 24, 36 months down the road. So really setting us up for some further housing crisis, or at least a continued housing crisis down the road. Though, <laughs> there may be some light at the end of that tunnel too, at least when we're talking about Vancouver.
because we've been talking about the Plex plan for a while. The city has been, and it's called the multiplex plan now, I guess. And, and the report has just been made public. So all the things that they had sort of rumored look to essentially have come true. And now this report, it's I think 146 pages is now on the city of Vancouver website. You can go have a look at that if you're interested. I know a lot of builders will be. And realistically, the key or the main points they're trying to push forward here too. So the housing, the housing department has pushed forward here to council saying, look, please allow single family home lots to be automatically rezoned and developable for four to eight units. And it's all depending, of course, on the size of the lot, which type of units you're building, et cetera. But ultimately, they're just trying to make it easier and quicker for people to be able to build. They're actually pushing forward the concept that new single family homes will be reduced in size, and yet they will allow for larger laneway houses. Okay, They're basically just trying to densify. This is all about filling the missing middle. It's very easy now, technically not easy, but you can build a, a single family home or you can build a high rise. And there's not been much ability in Vancouver based on zoning and permitting to build your duplexes, lane or laneways, uh, row homes and low rise wood frame towers. And this is trying to help solve that. So this is a big step forward. The initiative is now made public. It's still getting voted on, I believe, late fall or even by early, early 2024 here. But should this move forward, it will be a big help in densifying Vancouver as a whole. The last they mentioned, they were going to do this as a pilot project. Putting forward the first 100 applications would, I think, get pushed through here. So that would take, what, 100 single-family homes into... 200 to 600 ish potentially homes. So obviously huge density would, would be improved there. The reality is though, if it's only a hundred lot test, um, test group here, you got to think that's still two years out, three years out before we're going to hear any real significant feedback as, as if this is working or not. So again, it's a push forward, but these things don't move quick. So we'll keep an eye on it, but keep in mind, we likely may not hear more for that time though. Hey, they could also change that tomorrow. Guess what? Blanket rezoning. Everybody have at her. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Now, with that said, while that's a push forward, Building costs are still so incredibly prohibitive here. And to give you an example of how bad they are, there was a, a builder, I think, from Vancouver who had since moved to Houston, Texas, and he built there recently a single family home. And he tweeted out his receipt from the city in regards to permitting and building fees in Houston, Texas. And the single family home came out to 1500 bucks worth of city fees. Today in Vancouver, if you just want to build a laneway, 700 square foot laneway house, your fees to the city building permits, uh, permitting fees, all that stuff, it comes to in and around $30,000. So incredibly, incredibly cost prohibitive here. And as we all know, or as we like to report on, if you are to build a house, if you want to build duplex, high rise, low rise, whatever, approximately 30% of your builder's total costs go to the city, taxation, fees, rezoning, et cetera. So it's, you know, those prices get pushed on to the buyers as well, because they will have to. So I've got an interesting perspective here or something that just crossed my mind with respect to this. So let's say, for example, you're looking at $30,000 to do a laneway home. Now, I'm assuming that uh, with these 100 homes that'll get uh, the option to go from one home to four, six, or eight, uh, there's going to be substantial development costs for each unit. So if, you know, if I'm doing a hundred laneway homes at 700 square feet, that's $3 million in, in revenue to the city. But if I'm doing, you know, if I'm paying 30,000 
for four 700 units, that's one thing. But if I'm paying $30,000 for each 700 square foot unit in the house, is this not a real way, tangible way for the city to collect a lot more revenue? It's a something that's just, you know, I'm curious to see how the city is going to do this because if it's $30,000 for permitting for the whole home to go from one to six units, now we're talking. But if it's $30,000 for each unit in that home, this is as much about collecting revenue as it is about dealing with density. So it's just an interesting thought process uh, in my mind. With that being said, I want to touch on affordability because affordability is the next to supply, the biggest crisis that we have in our city. Uh, with current interest rates, so get this, to purchase the average price home in the GVRD sitting around 1.2 million with 20% down, a buyer needs to earn $215,000 for an annual income and be carrying zero debt. So that's a tremendous number. Uh, now that can be a household income as well. It doesn't have to be a single income. But that being said, that's well above the average household incomes throughout Vancouver. And this is now going to push what would be buyers in a previous market into the rental market. And that will further exacerbate exacerbate, my, my apologies, the pain that is already in the marketplace. This will compound, right? And now we're seeing at a time when Canada's average rent has just crossed an all-time high in June of $2,042. The average annual rents are up 20% over the last two years. And Vancouver's monthly rent in June for a one-bedroom was up 18% year-over-year and 14% year-over-year for a two-bedroom. So these numbers just keep climbing and keep pushing people uh, out of the buying side and competing in the rental market. Uh, it's just, it, it's it's unaffordable at, at every corner. And of course, really even taking away more from the rental market and the reason why we're seeing these all-time high prices is the amount of short-term rentals out there and the amount of people trying to Airbnb their units. And as of right now, there's something like 4,100 active short-term rental ads out there for the city of Vancouver. And this is up like 37% from this time last year. And of course, this is all happening at a time where it's very tight market for long-term renters and they're seeing more and more of these units getting converted. Again, to not take sides, let's think about this for one second. If you had a unit and you could rent it out and your long-term rental rate was, let's say, 2800 bucks, or you could short-term rental, short-term rent that and get 4500 well... I guarantee you the person who owns that space, their expenses have skyrocketed. They're paying a higher mortgage. They're paying higher taxes. They're paying higher everything. So ultimately, if you're just trying to stay above water and even hold that unit, what would you do? Would you go for more money or less money? Now, again, I'm not taking sides, not saying right or wrong, but at the end of the day, if you have a thing and you can extract more capital out of that thing by going with plan B rather than plan A, it's pretty understandable why people would do that. Because of course, if they don't, well, then they're likely cash negative, maybe to the tune of a thousand plus dollars per month. So they're like, well, guess what? I got to get rid of this thing. I can't even afford it anymore. So they put it on the market. And then ultimately, as we know, it's typically end users that are buying up a lot of these as opposed to investors. So there you go. There's one less rental unit on the marketplace there. So again, good or bad, it's just kind of sharing information here. And interestingly here, we're also hearing stories where 
similar situations where the rents, sorry, the, the expenses for that landlord, if we're looking now at long-term have gotten so high that they're like, they'll actually go to their tenants and say, look, I got to sell this place or we got to find a way to come up to market rents. And at the end of the day, that tenant has to look at their options and say, look, um, yes, there's rental laws in place that favor the tenant here. So no, the, the landlord can't technically just raise the rents 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks or whatever it is. But if the tenant realizes that, hey, if that place sells, they're out on the streets, they're going to be paying market rent regardless. So if they don't want to move and maybe they can strike a deal with that landlord, well, they're going to see their rates increase, but they're going to keep that roof over their head and still maybe be just under. So it's some real real-time stories that we're hearing out there right now. So just not pretty for almost anybody in the housing market, no matter what side you're on right now. You know, Dan, um, we just did a deal last week where um, we were helping somebody try and find a townhome because their landlord was uh, interested in selling it off market to someone else. And uh, the rental rates that they were looking at, comparatively speaking to what was available to purchase, uh, the rental rates and the, and the mortgage rates, there was, uh, you know, Oh, I wouldn't say near is no difference, but uh, they were able to look at that scenario and go, well, if I've got to go back into the market and rent, my rent is going to jump 35, 40% from where they had been, which puts them right in line with, with <laughs> a mortgage. So they made the decision to just buy it directly from their landlord instead uh, hmm. because of what they were facing. Uh, in the rental market, they decided, well, listen, it still makes more sense for us to buy. And instead of going out and paying a hundred percent interest at that rate versus paying 30, you know, percent interest or, or 50% interest at the same rate. Right. So, uh, again, though, that's the pressure that this market is, is creating. So very, very dynamic space. Right. Um, with that yeah. said, maybe, yeah, I mean, is. yeah, okay. I, I, I'm just a little, people are looking left, right, and center to try and find solutions here. And uh, they don't, they don't have a lot to choose from. They, they don't. And because rates are so high, it makes very little sense for a lot of people to, to make a move right now. You know, I know in my current situation, if I were to sell and move, I would be able to afford something much less than I'm in now. So why would I leave, right? Yeah. I am going to stay here and ride it out and hope things change in the future. And that, I know that's the case for a lot of people. It doesn't make sense to move up, down, or even sideways at this point. And, and we're seeing that in, in the monthly sales, right? Monthly sales have been, while they've been trending up, they're still fairly low compared to our 10-year averages. And like I talked about a little earlier in this episode about housing prices, well, we're recording this on Thursday, July the 20th. And as a quick real-time update here, median prices down about 5K this month with average down about $12,000. And yeah, this will be the second month that both of those metrics are trending downwards into what's going to be a very slow month in August. And July, July, yeah, we're in July, July sales here. They're going to be higher from last year, but don't forget how slow last year, right? Last year was falling off a, a cliff, if you will. We'll be higher by about 10%, but we're 25 points off of last month. And yet still inventory is barely moving. We're at like 10,500 right now. And as you know, at the end of the month, a lot of those units will be delisted. So we may be sub 10,000 for, I believe the ninth month in a row here. So what's, what's the landscape, right? Like where, what's going to happen now? We've got high <laughs> rates that are keeping people in their homes, right? They're not making any moves. We've got no sign of inventory in the immediate future. We've got rents at all time highs. We have building permits dropping like a rock. 
we have increasing prohibitive costs to build. We've got population records being set every quarter. We've got the BOC saying rates are going to be high for at least two years here. I mean, there's there's nowhere to look that we're seeing kind of any real positive news in the sense of affordability. It sounds like a mess to me, Dan. I mean, when and it I'm is sure a mess. For, there's no I'm question sure it about is, it. Yeah, it know, feels like a mess. Like yeah. Well, when you look at you, you look at some of those issues, the prohibitive cost to build, and then you look at the extreme levels of unaffordability, and we're we're painting the suppliers of homes with the same interest rates that buyers have, right? There needs to be a way for us to bring in inventory uh, for the housing sector that doesn't cost uh, four times or five times what it cost two years ago to bring the same property to market. There needs to be some kind of exemption here. Uh, otherwise, we're going to continue to face this same issue over and over and over and over again. Uh, and builders just won't build because if it's too expensive and there's no profit to be made, they'll go build somewhere else. And that's actually what'll happen. And people will also move somewhere else if it continues to stay too expensive. You will have a brain drain of talent. And, uh, you know, Vancouver might just end up like a massive whistler or a huge playground for people with money. And then how do you service that? Right. How do you have people that service the restaurants and the stores and everything else? It's, it's unbalanced right now. And, uh, I just don't believe the solutions that are being implemented are going to create the outcome that we are desiring. I think that's a large reason why we saw Alberta as a province have the highest population growth out of any province in Canada in the last 12 months because of affordability. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Vancouver now, I would bet that the majority of people who bought a house within the last five years would not qualify for their own house today. Mm -hmm. The majority. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I hope you really like your house because chances are you're not leaving it for quite some time here. <laughs> unless again, you're, you're making that radical move to something like another a province just for the affordability. Well, even if you could, even if you could afford it, would you choose to pay it? That's the other side of this. When you could stare right. down something like Alberta, or you could move to a suburb, maybe you're going to choose, you're going to downsize your home, uh, or you're going to, you're going to alleviate yourself of that property. You know, those are, those are considerations that a lot of people are making right now. Just because I can afford to pay it doesn't mean I want to, right? I don't want to pay 50% of everything I earn to go on my, my paycheck or my rent, right? To go towards my mortgage payment or, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You use a human being, you can't save for your future. So, you know, it's, it's an existential crisis. It's not just uh, an affordability one too. Very well put. Well, buckle down people. It's not looking to be easy for the next uh, couple of years here. So please, uh, we'd love to help you if you have questions about the marketplace and, and what to do. You know, are you stuck? Are you thinking about a move? Are you thinking about leaving the country? <laughs> you know, uh, we actually have seen this a few times with a few of our clients. So happy to share what we can uh, about how that works. So anyway, thanks as always for tuning in and uh, have a great day. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.